Um, we're right in the middle of, of an incredible series. This is the beginning of we're launching this year of yes and uh, kind of really embracing the promises that God has for us. And we're kicking off the year of yes with a series of these four promises that God is a God of his word. He's full of integrity. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. How great is that? And uh, there's four big promises that God makes throughout Scripture uh, that we wanted to focus on these first four weeks. And uh, we kick this thing off with, this, with the promise of salvation, that, that God promises us salvation through Jesus Christ. And last week, Jeff talked about how God promises us the Holy Spirit as a gift and as a seal uh, for power, for life and ministry. And this morning, we're going to look at the third promise, and this is the idea that Jesus promises us both an abundant and eternal life. And uh, on one hand, I hope that you're really encouraged. I know it's easy for, uh, at least easy for me, not for you, but to be cynical and be like, oh, this is so like self-help and it's all like, yay, rah, rah, rah. But if you really think about it, man, life is incredibly hard and challenging. And uh, I just think in one week, you just think of all the conversations you've had, all the interactions you've had, all the things that are going on, all the distractions, and how great that we actually as a church don't listen to me all the time and say, how great to stop and to remember that God is for us. He sees us. He loves us. He has things for us. And this morning, we're going to take a look at this idea that God promises an abundant and eternal life. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at a couple of different scriptures. But the first one, where this, the anchor verse for today is 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, and it says this. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. How simple is that? God's God of his word, and this is a simple promise. This is what God promised us, eternal life. Now, a lot of times people thought, okay, eternal life, that's great. Someday, as great as life is or as awful as life is, um, I can do whatever I want. If I accept Jesus in my life, someday I'll go to heaven and that'll be great. So whatever happens now, it doesn't matter. But at some point, I'll be with God in heaven and experience eternal life, and that's good news. And that is, it's incredibly good news. But what's amazing is you read through Scripture, you realize that God is excited to have us all in heaven with him someday. But even more so, God is excited for his people to live that eternal life actually starting now, to be a part of the kingdom of God right now, that God has this eternal life waiting for us. It's not waiting down the road, but for us to begin to live into more and more. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, that Jesus says that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And a lot of times in our lives, we can think about, man, my life can be characterized by stealing and killing and destroying. It's just this like this remnant, this leftover cesspool of a life. And you think, God, you have this abundant life for me, and sometimes I look at my life and it doesn't feel that abundant. But we realize that that's not God's heart for us. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And uh, for me, when I think about well, what is an abundant life, what does an abundant life really look like? Uh, for me, I, I, I wish I used scripture more, but I don't. I kind of read Us Weekly, and that's how I figure out what an abundant life is. And in 2000, I got a great picture. In 2000... Um, the marriage made in heaven occurred between Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. And uh, when I look at them and I look at this wedding photo, I was like, this is God's will. Like, if I could imagine what is God's will for my life, for their life, for all of their future kids, this is it. Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston coming together in holy matrimony. Two of the most beautiful people on the planet. Two of the most successful people on the planet. Two people who have obvious charisma. There's some beautiful famous people who have no charisma. Every interview with them, every time you see them around, obvious, obvious charisma. And so obviously God's desire for the whole and abundant life is this, is this is our picture. Two beautiful, successful, 
wealthy, charismatic people coming together and letting pictures people take pictures of it. How great. That was my picture in 2000. Well, in 2004, they filed for divorce. Can you believe that? Well, of course you can because you've been to Safeway in the last 10 years. So you know that's long gone. Jennifer, I mean, Angelina Jolie is now in the picture. But I remember in 2005, I was devastated. I mean, I'm a little bit of an Us Weekly groupie. I get that. But I was devastated because if Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston cannot stay married, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for the common person who is trying to pay their bills and married, you know, to average looking people and are moderately successful? There's no hope for us. That's what I think. And when they got divorced, I just thought, I'm throwing in the towel. There's, that's it for us. Now, you kind of laugh and it is kind of silly, but unfortunately, I think that's mostly how we live. We run full speed towards this picture of false success. Or, I mean, it's true success, but this, we run, this is what our life needs to look like, it needs to look like, it needs to look like. And then all of a sudden, we hit a road bump. And life does not turn out the way we want it to turn out. And uh, we get a hiccup and it begins to unravel. And even Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston got divorced. And you think if God offers us a full and abundant life and even the most successful, beautiful people can't do it, what hope is there for us? And I think it's helpful to realize that our success of what a full and abundant life cannot be shaped by us weekly. This is the lesson I have to learn every time I go to Safeway. That is not our picture We have to have scripture be the anchor, be the place that shapes how we define a full and abundant life. I mean, it's kind of like a trick that God does. I give you a full and abundant life, but it has to be defined a certain way. And so this is the way that I defined it. The full and abundant life is this, the fullness of being seen, of being known, and being valued by God and others as we live into our unique purpose as partners of Jesus Christ. This is the full and abundant life. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how many teeth you have. It doesn't matter what you're... It doesn't matter. All the circumstances of life don't matter. What's amazing is all the books of the Bible, I think just about every single one of them, all the things that we look to for inspiration and hope, were written by people whose lives we would not want in the slightest. We are, they are written by people in jail, people who are tortured, people who are on the end of their life, people who are martyrs, people who suffered greatly for their faith. And yet they found joy and contentment and fulfillment. And I think that's what God offers for us, that the fullness of life, obviously for Brad and Jennifer, it didn't matter being popular, being beautiful, having a great bank account. Those things didn't matter because they obviously were not seen and were not known. They didn't understand their true value and what God had for them was way bigger than being on Us Weekly all the time. And if we can get this, if we can realize that God sees us, he values us, he knows us, and not just that, not just to build our self-esteem, but to actually have purpose. If God wants us to be his partners, like when I, when I was younger, you know, you're helping your dad work on something in the car. You, as a little kid, you get to hold the screwdriver. That's my job, right? I hold the screwdriver, and then your dad's like, hey, I'm ready for the screwdriver. But that's not even what God has for us. God wants us to be partners in ministry. We are uniquely gifted and talent tasks for ministry. We are all different, and thankfully we're all different, and God wants to not only see us and show us our value, but want to put us to work. And when we lean into that, when that becomes who we are, we start to live into the full and abundant life. Okay. That's super great. Now, for me, this is where I struggle. How in the world do you get from where I am right now to understanding the fullness of being seen, known, and valued by God and others as we live into our unique purpose as partners of Jesus Christ. There's another great passage of scripture in John 15, verse 5, and it says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If someone remains in me and I remain in them, they will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How simple is that? If we are connected to the vine, Jesus will bear our fruit, will bear fruit in us and through us. Now, for those of you who got dragged to church today and don't even care about Christianity, I'm going to give you a little nugget here. This is going to be great. But this is going to serve as a large illustration for those of us who want to figure this out. For me, one of my dreams was to retire with a million dollars. Wouldn't that be cool? Come to retirement age, retire with a million dollars, that'd be super great. Well, here's how you do it. That is a great dream. But for all great dreams, you have to have three things. You have to have a plan. You actually have to put some effort in that plan. But really, you're going to find out is that all of that effort has a true cost. So for me, my dream is to have a million dollars in the bank account when I retire. I don't even know why. That just sounds cool. I don't even know in, in 50 years from now, what's a million dollars going to buy me? That'll probably be a piece of cake. Um, but here's how you do it. Here's the plan. If you want a million dollars in your bank account at 25, the day you turn 25, from that day until you retire, you simply need to take $15 out of your walk, wallet and put it into your bank account. That's it. And ultimately invest that somewhere that's safe, right? 15 bucks. That's all you have to do. $15 a day. That is the plan. Now, it's going to take a little bit of effort, right? You actually are going to have to like take money out of your bank account or maybe once a week. I, can't, I didn't do the math because I'm a little tired. But whatever that is, and once a week and put that in there out of your paycheck. But you take that money. It actually takes effort to take money that is in your hand that you could do something and put it and save it away. And if you did that from the day you turn 25 till the time you retire, a million bucks. Now, I'm almost 40, and if I'm going to do it now, I haven't started yet because I've been distracted. But if I start now, I have to take $45 a day. That sucks. I would way much rather take $15 out of my day. But 45 bucks is what I would have to do now. And that's the plan. It's a really simple plan. It takes some effort. But what we really realize is that there is a true cost. That $15 a day means no more Starbucks, at least for a while. It means no more surfboard. It means no more vacation, right? It means no more going to the movies. Now, what's interesting is $15 a day, like right now, I could probably do $15 a day. When I was 25, I couldn't. And to say no to those things at 25 was just too costly for me. I like going on road trips with my friends and going out to eat every day. It was too, it was too costly. Do you see that? It's this plan. It's this dream. We all want the dream. If we all, but if we all did it, we'd all be millionaires. But we're not all millionaires because the plan actually takes effort and there is a true, true cost. And so when Jesus says, I long for you to have this abundant life. I have made you, I've given you my Holy Spirit and you have eternal life that begins right now. And God's dream for you is to live this full and abundant life right now is awesome. But I would be remiss if I did not tell you about the cost. Because unless you understand the cost and are willing to pay the cost, you're forever going to be on the outside looking in, building more and more resentment towards God and towards God's people. Because you hear the promises, but you're not experiencing the promise. And God is faithful. He is faithful. And unfortunately, this promise, to live the full and abundant life, there's part of it that we are responsible for. There's part of it that we need to own. So in Galatians chapter 5, it says this. I can find it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Awesome. Good news. 
Good news. That when we are connected to Jesus, the plan, right? What is the plan? The plan is simply to be connected to Jesus. When we are con- abide in him, when we're connected to the vine, we bear much fruit. When it says bear much fruit, what's he talking about? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against all these things, there's no law. That is the plan, connected to Jesus. And it's so, it's lame. Even our high schoolers roll their eyes. How do you do this? You go to church, you read your Bible, you pray, you're in community. It's not, it's not rocket science. It is the simplest thing. The plan is simple. And the plan actually takes effort. Right, you gotta wake up a little bit. But even putting in effort, we will still miss it unless we get the cost. And this is the cost. The cost is that we have to die to our flesh. We are sinful and broken people. And for those of us who have given their lives to Jesus, how cool that God is in the process of renewing us and restoring us. But we have to partner with the Holy Spirit to whittle away our flesh because our flesh is suffocating the Holy Spirit, is suffocating the life that God has for us. So if you just go a verse before that in Galatians, two verses in chapter 5, verse 19, it says this, that the acts of the flesh are obvious. That's what I love. Scripture is so fun. We have to, like, we don't even need to know what sinful behavior is. You know where you are totally satisfying your flesh. The way that you're doing it, hopefully, is different than the way that I'm doing it. Right? I could harp all day on the way that God, that I am satisfying my flesh. And how cool, we don't need to stand around and give each other gutter to glory stories because we are spiritual people. The Holy Spirit is alive and active and involved in all of our lives. And if we are just quiet for one second, we know that the Holy Spirit is like, um, this part, um, this thing. For the acts of the flesh are obvious. We have to know them. But thankfully, Paul is helpful. He gives us some categories here. So I'm going to read these very slowly. And your job is to say, Holy Spirit, which fleshly activities am I holding on to? These fleshly activities are quenching the Holy Spirit. This, the fruit of the Holy Spirit longs to be, made, to be grown in us. And when we give in to our flesh, we're just cutting off the valve of the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. And so we have to identify what these are. So the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're sexual immorality. They're impurity. Debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. How incredible a document written almost 2,000 years ago has something for everybody right there. And whether something on that list is like, that is me, exactly, or yours are just a little more subtle and a little more hidden, or you've been around the church long enough that no one could even see yours anymore, but in your heart, those things are running rampant. Or worse, you have self-righteousness running rampant. And you forgot that you are a broken, 
person in need of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God longs for us to have a full and abundant life. The plan is simple, to just be connected to the vine. That is all that we have to do. But the cost is that we have to die to our flesh. That song we sang, right, in the scripture, we pick up our cross daily and we follow him every day. We don't just go, oh, finally, I got that one sin under control. I'm good to go. No one at church is going to judge me anymore. That's not the Christian life. Every day we say, Jesus, search me, test me. What is my flesh? What do I need to die to today so I can run after all that you have for me? What I think is interesting is all of us have some way in which we cope. Life is just too hard to live normally. Relationships are too hard just to like enjoy. People are too complex and all of us have ways in which we cope and there's the super unhealthy addictions that you know, all the blank A's are full of, right? And then there's the hidden ones, the ones in Marin that we like to do, like working out nonstop, um, working nonstop. Um, being on our computers nonstop. Things that we do that go, man, this is too hard and I'm going to pull the ejection handle and I just need to be out. But every time that we cope, every time that we choose a coping mechanism, instead of leaning into what God has for us, leaning into the, di- the difficult things he's trying to teach us or the difficult people in our lives that he's called us to learn, every time we pull the ejection handle, we miss out on an opportunity to partner with God. We miss out on an opportunity for God to grow our roots even deeper. I love this passage in Ephesians 5.17. It's the one we harp on our kids all the time about drinking, but truthfully, it works for everything. It says, do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can interpret and take out, be drunk with wine, to do not be drunk with wine, do not get high on weed, do not be a workaholic, do not move every two years or move jobs every two years, quit looking at dirty stuff online, quit spending money like crazy, you don't need a new dress, whatever it is, right? These are things that we do because life is too hard. We're too uncomfortable and we're too awkward. And scripture says, do not cope. Coping is a numbing agent that causes us to live a dull life. But rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so the God that can renew us and transform us and heal us. So in order to claim this promise of an eternal and abundant life, we must be proactive in our pursuit of Jesus. But most of us are so wrapped up in sin more subtle sin, that he has limited our ability to grow our spiritual muscles and we've stunted our spiritual growth. And this morning, we just want to take an opportunity to say we're done with that. We're done being stunted. We're done with the flesh weighing us down and suffocating us. Because the promise of an abundant life is not to be successful and beautiful like Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt, who still couldn't pull it together, but the fullness of being seen and known and valued by God and by others as we live into our unique purpose as partners of Jesus Christ. That is the call that God has for us. That is what he longs for us to do. But many of us are suffocated by sin, are suffocated by our flesh, are suffocated by addictions and neuroses that just cripple us. And this morning, we're going to claim the promise of abundant life, of eternal life, and say no more. No more to that. This cross is here because we need a reminder, always, not just on a cool little necklace and not just as we sing about it, but sometimes it's just good to stop and realize the whole reason why the cross is the centerpiece of so much of of the church, um, of singing and scriptures and conversation is because we 
are broken and sinful people separated from God, deserving of hell itself. And yet Jesus rescued us. Jesus died on the cross simply so that all of our sins, all of the flesh, all of that list of things that if we put on the outside of our shirts, no one would want to talk to us and we would walk around with shame and guilt. All those things Jesus took on himself and has offered us freedom from that. He's offered us a new life and an abundant life. And what's so amazing about the promise of Jesus Christ is when we ask for forgiveness, he does, he forgives us. It's not like today at 40 going, now I want to save and to be a millionaire. Oh, you mean I have to play catch up? I have to work extra hard to get caught up to where I want to be? If that was the case, we would be in so much trouble. But instead, Jesus says, you want to run this race with me? Take off these chains. You are free from sin and from death. And you get to come to the very front of the race and run with me and my people to get after all that God has for me. I'm going to invite the band up as we wrap this up. But this morning, we're just going to spend about five or six minutes being quiet. Actually making space for God to maybe reveal the sin in our life. The sin that is suffocating us. That is chaining us down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. How cool. Here we are at church, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. In the heavenlies, there's a cloud of witnesses who have all run the race ahead of us, looking down at us, passing the baton to us, to Marin Covenant Church, to be good news to this county, to expand the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. But for many of us, including myself, can't run that well because we are shackled. Most of us by hidden sin, right? You don't like to let people know, but we are shackled. And in front of you is a really simple, silly token. And I was looking at this morning, there's a little chain link. This thing's nothing. Me and all of my non-strength, I could break these chains and separate 400 of them while I was watching Chops. That was my Tuesday. Took no effort for me. For us, we think of these chains as these gigantic thousand pound weights that drowned us. And to God, they're like, oh, they're chandelier chains. My blood is already taken care of that. And so this morning, we just want to make space for you to identify what is the sin that is chaining you, that is suffocating you, that is holding you back from living the abundant and eternal life that God has for us. And in this moment of, of quiet reflection, if God has put on your heart and you can identify what that is and you're ready to say, you know what, today... I'm done with that. And I need forgiveness for that. And I repent from that. And I'm going to lean into the abundant and full life that you have for me. And I'm just going to invite you to quietly come up here and hang this chain on one of these nails. And know that you are forgiven. God is good on his promises and he has offered us the promise of salvation. He's offered us the promise of his Holy Spirit. He's offered us the promise of an eternal and abundant life. It doesn't matter if 10 minutes ago you were engaged in whatever that thing was. When you confess it, it is done with. And you are at the front of the line, running like crazy for all that God has for you. For the abundant life is the fullness of being seen, of being known and valued by God and by others as we live into our unique purpose as partners of Jesus Christ.
So just finish this statement. In order to claim the promise of an abundant and eternal life, I must throw off the chains of whatever that is. And may the Holy Spirit do whatever work he must do in us for us to be those people. Amen.